so about two months ago or so, my sister-in-law, well, who's my sister-in-law? Yeah, my wife's sister. I always get those things confused. Um, my sister-in-law was getting married up in Nashville, and so my wife and I took off on a Thursday, and we went up and drove up, and uh, she was in the wedding, and so, you know, you got to get there a few days early, and uh, hang out with the fam and do all those types of things. And as we're driving up, uh, you know, we stopped and got gas and um, we're, you know, trendy people. So we got Starbucks. And so as we're, you know, pulling off to get Starbucks, you know, you got your little GPS out and you're searching for this thing and you're kind of distracted. And while we're distracted, there's, um, you know, a DJ talking in the background or, you know, if, if, if you're like me, I don't listen to um, iPods when I'm in car trips because then you just listen to the same songs over and over and over and the same types of songs. It just gets really repetitive and redundant. So I'm a radio surfer when it comes to uh, car trips and, and just kind of the car in general. Anybody NPR in here? Some of you guys, you're excited about that. Some of you are like, liberal. Okay, so get over yourself. We just want to be informed. Um, but either way, so we're sitting there just listening to a random radio station in a random town somewhere in North Alabama. And as we're driving up, um, the, the DJ starts talking about this one particular song. Uh, and he starts talking about, and, and, and this might be you know, a heartbreak hotel for some of you guys. Um, there's a song where Selena Gomez um, sings about her breakup, and if you don't know this, this is going to be tragic for you this morning, with Justin Bieber. Anybody, anybody heartbroken over that one? That's a big thing in our culture. Um, so anyway, so she starts talking about, or he starts talking about this song, and essentially what Selena does, like we're on a first name basis, um, is she starts, you know, kind of word vomiting. She just kind of, you know, super emotional, super girl, um, and, and not like, anyways, so girl breakup time. Um, and she kind of locks herself in this booth, and she starts just saying, you know, oh, I, you know, all my friends told me, and I was such an idiot, but, you know, he, the Biebs was the man, I guess, and he just, you know, sung to me, or YouTubed me, or I don't know what he did, but for some reason, you know, I was just so compelled, and my heart, you know, my heart wants what it wants, uh-uh, 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 there you go, a couple of you guys are with me on this morning, good, good, good. So, what was interesting is, is he kind of, and, and this is, you know, it was kind of an interesting situation because we weren't really paying attention, but we're p- turning around in a, in a um, parking lot because we had, you know, gotten a little bit turned around when we got the interstate, and he says, he says something very insightful, he said, you know, it's interesting how reality can tell us something so strongly, but our heart can speak something stronger than reality. We know what's good for us. We know what's right for us. We know what we ought to do. And in fact, oftentimes, you know, your friends tell you what you ought to do. Your parents tell you what you ought to do. The Bible tells you what you ought to do. You have this, like, reality that you know what reality speaks, what's the best thing for you. But for some reason, there's your heart. And your heart says to do something different than what you know is best for you. And we have this kind of cultural thing, and, and, and no, nobody's, you know, a bad person for this, but it just kind of is what it is. Um, uh, the culture kind of, and that's, by the way, the nerdy part that you know, Justin Bieber inspired our sermon, um, but we have this cultural thing, and in the essence of it, and, and it's not ill-intended, and all, honestly, sometimes it's not even bad advice, where it basically says, follow your heart, follow your heart, you know, listen to your heart when you... I don't know who sings that. I'm guessing Celine Dion, just because that's up her alley. I was trying to think of all the songs. Those are the only two I got, Celine and C- Anyways, there's this kind of cultural thing that it basically says, hey, listen to your heart. Do what your heart tells you. What your heart, you know, tells you is right. And sometimes there's a neutral playing field where, you know, you're picking between this job and that job, and they're both great jobs. 
Sometimes it's, you know, a neutral playing field. You're picking between this college and that college. And, you know, either choice is a great choice. And, and essentially when people say, listen to your heart, they're just saying, hey, do what you feel like is right. Deep down, you have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And so you should pick what's right and you should pick what's wrong. But what's interesting is we can all think back at times in our life when we felt something that was not in our best interest. When we wanted to do something that wasn't in our own best interest and you knew, if you were being honest with yourself, it wasn't in your best interest. Your friends knew it wasn't in your best interest. And, and, and your parents knew it wasn't in your best interest. And everybody talked to you said, you know, you shouldn't date that guy. He's a loser. And you said, but he's so cool, you know. He drives a motorcycle and has tattoos and a sweet beard. And so, you know, oh. And everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> but he's a loser, you know, or... or you know, guys, you date this girl, and everyone's saying, you know, you shouldn't date her, you shouldn't date her, she's going to drag you down, she's going to drag you down. And you're saying, yeah, but she's hot. People say, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't buy this, you shouldn't buy that. You know, you probably shouldn't take that job because it doesn't seem like it lines up with where you want to go career-wise. You say, yeah, but it pays a lot. And for all of us in life, we've been through stuff where we can, and this is, this is the interesting part, you can look back, many of you are old enough at this point, where you can look back and not even have stuff that you wanted, but stuff that you prayed for. You, you talked to God one night, and you were in your bed, and you were asleep, and you were maybe in middle school, or your elementary school, or high school, or college, and you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and you said, God, please, God, please, God, please, you know, give me that girl, give me that car, give me that job, let it be, you know, getting accepted to that college. And you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and then you didn't get it, and you were heartbroken. We've all been in that situation. And five years later, you look back and you're saying, God, I am so glad you didn't give me what I wanted. God, I'm so glad when I was in high school, you didn't give me a Lamborghini. I would have liked it, don't get me wrong, but I would have wrecked it real quick. I almost lost my license with a Mustang. I mean, a Lamborghini, get out of here. I wouldn't be driving right now. You wanted to get into that college? But you didn't get in, and you were heartbroken. You had prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you were mad at God when it happened. You said, God, how could you? Why would you? And then at the end of the day, you look back, and you say, God, I'm so glad I didn't get that job. I'm so glad I didn't buy that car. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And you can look back through the lens of time and see that sometimes your heart is wrong. Sometimes, as well-intended as it is, Sometimes, as much as you want to put your hope in it, as much as you want to put your trust in it, your heart and my heart is wrong. Now, let me just tell you, that should be a very sensitive subject. For some reason, for me, it's not. I've gotten in, you know, with people who I'm close to, now, this is something you need to know about. The closer you get to me, the more blunt and honest. If I, you know, we're going to get to know each other, and you ask me a question, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be nice about it. But I'm telling you, I've had some knockdown, like, not drag-out fights where we literally punched each other, but, I mean, I've had, you know, people who are very, very close to me, family members who are very, very close to me, saying, how can you tell me the desire of my heart is wrong? And I just say, simple, because it's wrong. And, and, and here's why. That's not a statement of arrogance. That's not a statement of me. It's a statement. It's a statement because I've seen and I've experienced in my life where my heart wanted something so bad, and I look back through the lens of time, and I say, God, I am so glad you didn't let me marry that girl that I wanted to marry so bad in fourth grade. Because I gave her a little, like, you know, golden little chain thing that I stole from my sister. 
I was too scared to really give it to her, so I just kind of like dropped it on her desk and walked away. And as a fourth grader, fifth grader, she's thinking, he's such a baller, you know? And I look back, and I'm like, God, God. as a fourth grader, my heart was like, I love this chick, you know? My little fourth grade, you know, love language. But as a 31-year-old, I'm like, God, thank you for not answering my fourth grade prayer. And, and, and here's what's interesting. As you examine your heart, as you examine the decisions you made, you, you, this, this isn't probably new information for you. Many of you could, could look back at your life experience and you could see the same thing. That's not re- necessarily revolutionary or, or revelatory in any sense. But here's what we're going to do with this series. We're going to spend the rest of the series teasing out different subject areas. We're going to spend the rest of the, 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 the series basically going through and saying, these are the critical ones. If you don't get it in any other area of your life, these are the critical ones. In fact, I kind of had some ideas of what critical ones for me would be, but I emailed our, our, our Facebook, because we're cool, I Facebooked all of our leadership team, and I say, hey, what for you, with where you are in life, everybody's a different place, we have some young, some old, say, for you, what do you see? When you look back through the lens of time, what are the areas that you wish somebody would have said of you, follow, somebody would have told you, follow God, not your heart. Follow what your friends say, not your heart. Follow logic, not your heart. What are the big, overwhelming, overarching issues and areas that you would have wished as a 15-year-old, as an 18-year-old, as a 22-year-old, as a 30-year-old, as a 50-year-old, somebody would have just pulled you aside and said, come here. I know what you're thinking, and I know what you want. But let me just tell you how it's going to end. Let me just tell you the path that you're headed down. Now this morning, I just kind of want to tease out this and and just kind of bait the whole principle and just kind of get some buy-in, some collective buy-in behind it. Now, here's what I think is at stake. Because in in, in a series, there's got to be something at stake here. There's got to be a compelling reason for you to listen. So, So here's what I think is at stake. The real core of the issue is that when you say follow your heart, you're looking for something to be a guiding light. You're looking for something to essentially be a true north. You're looking for something that's going to guide you through these difficult decisions, through these critical life choices. You know, you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry. You're trying to figure out what house you're going to buy. You're trying to figure out what job you're going to take. You're trying to figure out, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to figure out based on your stage of life. Should we have kids? Should we not have kids? Should we retire? Should we go 401K? Should we go Roth IRA? What? Where? I mean, come on. There's, There's a million big choices in life. And when we say follow your heart, we're looking for some type of a guiding light or some type of a guiding principle that's going to take us, and here's here's, here's the part, to a desired outcome. You see, when you date that girl or when you date that guy, the hope is that you live happily ever after. The hope is that you have a great relationship. The hope is that you have a great marriage. When you're thinking about taking that job, For you, whatever your desired outcome is, it guides you, and it leads you, and it directs you. And so you know you shouldn't date her, but you think, how great. You know you shouldn't take the job, but you think, how great. You know you shouldn't choose that major, but you think, how great, how much money could I make? In our heart, we want to act as a true north, as a compass that helps us to navigate life. But here's, here, here, let me just tell you, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Your heart and my heart almost always leaves us wanting more. If you listen to your heart, and here's what's at stake. If you listen to your heart, 
If I always listen to my heart, not only will I make some bad decisions, but, but here's, here's the real at the core of the issue, because anybody can live through a bad decision, anybody can live through a bad breakup, anybody can do any of those things, but if I am just constantly doing what my heart wants me to do, the problem with my heart is my heart always wants more. My heart always wants to get more, my always want, heart wants to attain more, my heart always wants what's bigger and what's better. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you get a new car, and that car's cool. Until about five years later, and that other new car that you've been waiting to come out comes out. You know, like, I don't care what car I have. When they finally remake the Ford Bronco, my car is not going to be good enough. I love the truck I have right now. In fact, I say I love the truck. I get to drive the truck one day a week. I love the Prius that I have because I drive about 100 miles, a, or a couple hundred miles a day for work. Just so you know, I'm not a Prius driver. Just street cred here. But no matter what car I have, my heart will want a brand new 2000 and probably 45 by the time it comes out, Ford Bronco. And we can, we can justify it. We can justify anything. It, it, it's, it's funny. Because we always want more, we always want more, we always want more, and we can justify and justify and justify. You know, the reason that I want a big Bronco isn't because, you know, that's outrageous. It's because it's safe, you know? The reason that, um, that I want a new iPhone, obviously, is for its functionality. You know what I mean? I just want something that, that works. The reason that I want, you know, whatever it is that I want is because I want, I want, I want. And my heart wants and wants and wants. And none of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But here's the problem. If all I listen to my heart, I'll never be happy. If all I do is listen to my heart, I'll never be satisfied. If all I do is listen to my heart, I'll continually be wanting more and more and more and more and more. And that's why, let me just tell you, that's why America's in debt. That's why the average American is in debt. It's because we always want more. This cell phone's good, that cell phone's better. This house is good, that house is better. It's terrible, it invades our lives, it invades our relationships. That wife's good, that wife's better. For some of you with kids, you wish. My kid's good, their kid's better. But it constantly leaves us wanting more. So here's... Here's the principle that we're going to unearth today. So let me just kind of tell you if you, you know, got some stuff that you got to get to and you got to leave a little early. Let me just tell you the bottom line of the whole talk. Your heart was meant to trust God, not be God. Your heart, in my heart, was designed for a purpose. And in fact, the want that you feel inside, the desire that you feel inside for something is not an unwanted or an unneeded or an undesigned want. In fact, what we believe, what I believe, is that is a God-given desire. But that desire is the desire to trust God with your heart, not trust your heart to be your God. Because as long as your heart's your God, you're always going to want more. But as long as you trust God, God's the only thing that will give you more than you can ever want or need. So... Let me take it to some scripture and just kind of tease this thing out for a little bit. So we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, let me give you a little context to what's happening here because I know a lot of you guys are, you know, you had your quiet times in Jeremiah this morning. By the way, anybody in the middle of the 21-day challenge? Okay, a couple of people that are, you know, <laughs> nervous about admitting they read the Bible. Um, by the way, if, if, if you don't read your Bible, I, let me just invite you to. Uh, we're in the middle of, as a church, we kind of challenged everybody last week. And if you pay attention to our Instagram, at DCC Tally, um, we kind of are Instagramming different verses from different chapters every day. We think 
this is kind of a whole different side caveat to the sermon. We think what's more important than you hearing me speak is you reading the Bible for yourself. Um, we think God can speak to you more than he can speak to you through me. And so reading the book of John, it's, the, it's one of the gospels. It's one of the story of Jesus' life together. We're just taking the chapter a day. Chapter a day, chapter a day. Today's day seven, so you can hop on or you can kind of get caught up however you want to. So anyways, um, in the book of Jeremiah, we're in Jeremiah chapter 17. Now let me set, set a little stage for what's happening for, for those of you guys who aren't terribly familiar with the Old Testament or the, the prophets in the Old Testament. So Jeremiah is a guy who's a prophet, which essentially meant, that not only he, we think of prophecy, we think of prophets in the terms of like, they like predicted the future. And, and that happened from time to time, but, but more often than not, what a prophet was is a prophet would speak to a people group on behalf of God. Now, you and I don't need prophets as much as they did because they didn't have the Bible. They had some of the Old Testament at this point, and they would read the law, and as they would read the law, they didn't all have access to it. They weren't all literate. And so from time to time in the public setting, they would get together and they would just read the whole thing. They couldn't sit down there and read a chapter a day. And so God would have to send a prophet to inform the nation or inform the people of God that, hey, you're messing up, or hey, you're doing it right, or hey, do this instead of, do, instead of doing that. And so God has sent prophet after prophet at this point, kind of in, in the story, um, there's God's chosen people who's a nation of Israel. And they were incredibly rebellious. And they went through a series of kings, and in fact, the, 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 the rebellion was so bad that this nation that was supposed to be God's holy nation split in half. Now, the northern kingdom was always way worse than the southern kingdom. But the southern kingdom was pretty bad too. And so what happens, and you might have read this in your history book, is the Assyrians came in and invaded the northern kingdom and sent them all over the place, just completely torched the place, just burned it, all that kind of stuff. And as they got burned, they still had the little southern kingdom left, and God would send prophets to the southern kingdom and say, hey, if you don't quit rebelling, if you don't quit rebelling, I'm going to send some people to do the same thing. And it's not because I hate you. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't like you. It's just like any good father would who eventually, if their kid rebels and rebels and rebels and rebels, if you don't spank your kid and put him in timeout, you might not spank your kid, but if you don't put your kid in timeout or whatever disciplinary follow-through that you have to do, eventually you're going to have some real bad kids. And so God... For, and this is, you know, we kind of take this lightly. So we look at the Old Testament like, why is all this war and why is all this you're going to die? It's because for a few hundred years, God would send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet saying, hey, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. Because if God was going to punish his kids, he wanted his kids to know that he was going to punish them. He wanted it to be crystal clear. This is what's going on. So one of the last prophets before what eventually happens in the southern kingdom is it gets taken over by the Babylonians and the Babylonians just sent everybody into exile. They didn't really turn and burn like the northern kingdom. They just sent everybody into exile, but all over the Babylonian kingdom. But before they did that, and probably the few decades before and actually into that, was a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah speaks to these people's rebellion. In Jeremiah chapter 17, he kind of digs to the core of what their issue was. And this is what he says. Chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord. So this is me speaking on behalf of God. Cursed is the man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now, oftentimes we don't see ourselves as doing that. But when we say, hey, I'm going to do what my heart says to do, that means I'm trusting in myself. God says, okay. 
You have the ability to make that decision. But let me, let me just tell you what's going to happen. When you get to the point where you can do anything you want, and you know, your heart's saying do this, and your heart's saying do that, and your friends are saying something else, and you know, you're maybe for you, your community group leader is saying something else, or maybe for you, the scriptures are saying something else, but you kind of intentionally choose to do what you want to do. He says, so, so, so here's the consequence. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt. Lance, let me just draw a picture for you. And here's the picture. It's in this dry desert land. Now, what's interesting about this picture, this analogy that he starts to, to put together, is if you were to look at life, and I was to look at life, we know lots of people who have been very disobedient to God, who it doesn't seem like their life is very dry at all. It seems like they got everything. I mean, they got, you know, a job, they got success, they got the girl, they got the guy, they got the phone, they got the clothes, they got whatever it is. And God looks at them and says, but you can't see inside. But you don't know the heart. You know, we're constantly amazed when we see unbelievably successful people do incredibly horrific things. We're amazed when we see, you know, how difficult it is for anyone in Hollywood to stay married. And you say, come on, you got this chick. I mean, she's beautiful. You got this guy. I mean, he's like Rich Froning Jr., Crossfitters. You know, you've got this person, you've got this money, you could have anything you want, you've got the cars, you got, but, but what happens? There's constantly something inside of them that wants more. And he says, come on, okay, so you can see the outside, so you can see what I can see, and I can see what you can see. But what's interesting is a little bit later on, he says, but God sees through to the heart. But God knows the heart, but God tests the heart. And for us on the outside, it seems like everything's in place. Everything is right. Everything is there. But inside, there's just this wanting, and there's just this longing, and there's just this desire to constantly want more. So he says, so let me just tell you. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For it leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to prepare. It says, come on, come on. There's just these people, and you've seen these people. There's just these people who constantly trust in the Lord. And he says, okay, and so there's times when it's just, man, it's just green and green and green, and they just have what they have, you know, and they have what they want. And, you know, you can see the person who doesn't trust God and the person who does trust God, and they're about the same. But then there's this interesting dichotomy that he says, okay, so, but then there's times when life doesn't go well. It's inevitable. Life doesn't go well at times. You lose your job. You're, you know, in relational trouble. You lose your money. You know, the market, you know, dumps and whatever happens. And for some reason, life is just tough. Someone that you love dies. You get the call that you thought you'd never get. You get the news that you thought you'd never get. And all of a sudden, life just gets turned upside down. Now, here's what's interesting. Is you've seen people that when that happens, for some reason, it's like their leaves are still green. When the biggest drought happens, when, when your world would be just thrown upside down, when the rugs pulled out from under you, there's still these people who for some reason have hope. And for some reason, they're not anxious. 
in the year of the trial. I mean, come on, come on. Aren't you nervous? Aren't you anxious? Don't you, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried it's not going to come together? Aren't you worried about what's going to happen? Aren't you worried about their health? Aren't you worried about your finances and stuff? He's not that you don't care. But he says, they're just not anxious about it. For it doesn't cease to bear fruit. Let me, let me tell you. Let me tell you one of the biggest compliments that I like to get and one of the biggest compliments that I think Christians can get. It's that when your world goes crazy, it's inexplicable how much peace you have in the middle of chaos. You want to know why? Because your heart's desire as a Christian shouldn't be for more. So when you don't have more, you don't freak out about not having more. Because that's not the goal. The goal for you is to every day more and more trust God. And so when everything gets pulled out, when the, the health goes, when the money goes, when the relationships are on the rocks, your heart isn't just wanting more and more and more and more and more. Your heart just wants more of God. So he digs down to the core of the issue. He says, let me just be honest about kind of where you are and, and, and the issues that you're facing. He says, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. He says, the heart, your heart, my heart can deceive us. And while that might sound offensive, you can look back at your life in situations where you know that's true. I can look back at my life and know that situations where it's true. We can see the, the recoil and the repercussions of our heart deceiving us throughout our lives. Times where we've chosen the right thing, times where we've chosen the wrong thing. Times where we followed the heart, times where we listened to God or wise counsel. So he says that the heart is deceptive above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But here's the good thing. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So let me, let, me, let me just tell you again. You can fool me and I can fool you and you can have it all together. But at the end of the day, God knows our heart. God knows our mind. But let me just tell you something about your heart. Your heart deceives you. Your heart can lead you in a direction where you don't want to end up. And let me also tell you this. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Times that you listen to your heart, that doesn't mean you're an evil person. That doesn't mean like you're bad and I can't believe you're here and oh my gosh. That just means you're normal. It means you're human. We've all, I don't care where you are, I don't care if you are here and you've been a Christian for 50 years, or if you're here and you're not even sure if Jesus exists, if Jesus was even a real person, if God even exists. Here's the reality. We can all look back at our life, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of our ideals, regardless of our ideologies and our worldviews, and we can look back at times in our life and our heart deceived us. Let me just tell you what I think and what I believe. I think and I believe it's because our heart was never meant to be our God. 
And it might sound silly to think that someone would think that their heart is their God, but you know what? When you submit to your heart being your true north, when you submit to your heart being the one that tells you what's right and what's wrong, when you submit your life to what your heart and sometimes maybe just your emotions tell you to do, you know what happens? Your heart and your emotions become your God. So so this is what I want you to know. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, your heart was made to trust God, not to be God. And so Jesus, let me kind of tell you how he weaves into this whole story. So Jesus seeing all of this and knowing all of this, knowing that our hearts can deceive us, knowing that our hearts can just, you know, make whatever decisions, do whatever they want, knowing that the natural inclination of my heart This isn't an indictment on you, but the natural inclination of my heart is to rebel against God. It just is. I just, and maybe me, honestly, more than many of you guys. Some of you guys, you see me and I'm a pastor, so you think, oh, he probably never does anything wrong. The people that know me well, you know that's ridiculous. First off, I have a natural rebellious streak inside of me. I want to do stuff. When people say, you're a pastor, you shouldn't do that, that makes me want to do it more. You know what I mean? Like, a pastor, you shouldn't, you know, never mind, I'm not going to get into that. I was, just, I was about to go some bad direction. I'm like, yeah, my pastor said I could do that because he wants to do that. So anyways, the, the, the point is, the point is, is inside of me, I have a natural inclination to rebel against God, to do what I want to do and not what God wants to do. And from time to time, what I want to do lines up with what God, God wants to do. But oftentimes, my, my heart tells me to do something other than what God wants me to do. And so Jesus saw all this, saw that's the natural inclination of our heart and says, hey, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to, or God said, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. When he dies on the cross for you, he's going to forgive you of all your rebellion, forgive you of all the things that just the natural existence of your heart wanted to rebel against him. And by the way, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you a new heart. And in fact, as the Bible puts it, he's going to give you the desires of your heart, a.k.a. he is going to put new desires inside your heart. And here's what's interesting. For those of you who you're in here and you kind of, you're, you're experiencing this and you're thinking about Christianity, I know kind of one of the big things is it's like, ah, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can submit to all those rules and those ideals and those regulations. I just don't know if I believe and it just seems so, 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 you know, structured and so, you know, confining. Here's, here's what's interesting. When you give your heart and your life to Jesus, what your heart wants to do begins to change. And you don't do it because you have to. You do it because your heart wants to. You don't start loving the people who are unlovable because you have to. You do it because you realize that God loved you who are unlovable. And that inspires you to. You're not generous because you have to. You're generous because you say, are you kidding me, God? You would allow me to be a part of what you're doing? You don't serve because you have to serve. You don't love the marginalized because you have to love the marginalized. You love because you realize that you are the marginalized. And God begins to give you the desires of your heart. So here's where I want to leave us today. And we'll pray and we'll be done. In what way, in what ways for you have you bought into the idea of your heart being God and not trusting God? And you might not be doing that right now, but it might just be a tendency you have. It might be a temptation that you have. 
But what ways have you known what God said to do, known what you ought to do, but done what you wanted to do anyway? For most of us, we're good on a number of different categories in life, but there's a couple that we just keep falling into. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time together. We're going to spend the rest of the time together just examining these areas, examining the different subjects, examining the different realities of the times and the places and the ideas where we want to trust what our heart says, not what God says, and for a variety of different reasons. But let me, let me just tell you before we leave, I just want you to know, I wish I could just, you know, inceptionally plant this in your mind. That if we follow our hearts, our hearts will always leave us wanting more. Because our hearts were not meant to, to be our God. Our hearts were meant to be trusting in God. Our hearts were meant to trust in the one who will always be more than what we could want. And to prove it, God gave his son to die on the cross to give us unconditional forgiveness and unconditional grace and to give us a new heart with new desires. And you might feel that old pull, but you, just like we watch in the baptism videos, are being transformed to the God and your desires line up. So what's the area for you as a Christian What's the area for you, for those of you who are Christians in here? What's the area where you have the biggest tendency, you have the biggest pull, you have the biggest, you know, whatever it is, to want to trust what your heart says and not what God says? To want to trust and make your heart your God as opposed to trusting God with your heart? For you, you know, you may, maybe you're in here and you're investigating. Let me ask you this question. For you, what's your biggest hindrance? You, you ought to know this about yourself. What's your biggest hindrance to trusting God with your heart? It might be cloaked in a thousand different things. It might be cloaked and, you know, uncomfortable. It might be cloaked with this, you know, I have this intellectual, you know, thought or this belief or this thing. It might be you know, that there's some truths that are hard to swallow. It might be some just issues. But come on, just for you. Let me just ask a question. You should know it for yourself. In fact, I would love it if, if, if you're in here and you're investigating. You're trying to figure out if you believe or not. You're trying to figure out if you would ever believe or not. In fact, you probably said you'll never believe. Let me just get you to ask this question. What's your biggest hindrance to trusting God with your heart? Because you ought to know that about yourself. If you're really going to investigate faith. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that as we go through this series, as we go out this week, God can begin to unearth some areas in our life where we trust in ourselves, we trust in our own strength, as opposed to trusting our heart, to the one who it was meant for. Heavenly Father, God, we've all been victim of this. God, we've all been guilty of this. We've all done what our heart wanted at times and not what you wanted at times. We've all done what our heart and our emotions say as opposed to what we know is right and know it's true. And there's been times where our heart kind of led us in a good direction, but for all of us, there have been plenty of times where our heart didn't. 
And God, we know that ultimately if we follow our heart, if we follow our heart and continue to follow our heart, we'll continually be wanting more. And so God, I pray that you would make us into a group of people who don't make our God our heart, but trust our God with our heart. God, I pray that you would begin to unearth inside of us all the different areas that you would take us through a pruning process. For those of us, God, who, who have some areas down, you would challenge us in new ways. But as we go throughout this week, we would just be attentive. We would just be aware to the times that we listen to our heart as opposed to what you've said. And God, I pray that you can build our faith. You can build our trust in you. As we learn in new ways to trust you with areas that we've kept from you for maybe a long, long time. And God, I pray for all my friends in here who are just investigating faith, investigating you, God, investigating you, Jesus. Aren't really sure where they land, aren't really sure where they are. God, I pray that we can all take a step back and say, what's my biggest hindrance? If this whole thing is true, if this whole thing is real, if you really died for my sins so that I could have a right standing with you, God, what's my biggest hindrance to trusting you with my heart? So, God. Please help us. Please give us the wisdom and the insight that only you can give to examine the things that we don't even know that are there. And then give us the courage and the strength to do what you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for coming this week. We'll see you next Sunday.